the hosts just talk a little, and then suddenly they play the intro riff, and then the actual episode starts. So I think that's what we should do. Uh, can this be our talking a little bit? Yeah, that will be. <laughs> That'll be funny. Yeah. Alright, so welcome to Hidden Philosophy Podcast. This is the first episode. I'm Will Blassingame, the editor of HiddenPhilosophy.com. And I'm John Blassingame. I'm his brother, and I just like talking about philosophy, so that's why I'm helping him out a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you're a philosophy major also, so I mean, I guess that gives you a little bit more credential than I have, you know, being just a mechanical engineering major. Um, yeah, so how this is going to work is I think we're just going to, for each episode, at least for now, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have one question that we just kind of talk about. Um, we try to come to like finding truth, um, and trying to find an answer to the question. I don't know if we will, we probably won't find an answer to the question of everything, but we can try. Um, okay. So, well, yeah. Well, can I stop you right there? I have a quick, I have a quick question right here before yeah. we get into what we're talking about. Yeah. So you said what we want to do is find truth, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you know when you've come across the truth? How how do you perceive that you've reached the truth at some point in your investigation of something? Well, maybe that should be our first question. All right, let's answer it then. Okay. Well. Truth is a tricky a tricky subject. I mean, obviously people have been debating that for like forever. But one thing that I'm going to talk about like what I've kind of thought about as to what it means to believe, which is our first which is what we were planning on doing. Um, first of all, whenever we say we're trying to find truth, we want to not say something that we know is wrong. So if you know something's wrong, then it's not true. Um, how you actually find truth? I don't know. Do you have any ideas? I'm actually I'm I'm really interested in this question because you, I mean you did just say something. How we know it is truth is you know conversely is that we know that it's not wrong. Can we know that something's not wrong? Can we know that? Um, and I don't know. I and I relate it to this. I can work through a whole calculus problem, uh, and I can apply all the methods I know, um, and I can even punch numbers in the calculator where I feel like they need to be. But if I mess up at one point in the step because I don't understand the process, I'm not going to have the right answer, regardless um, of if I think I do or not. I can incredibly, or I can believe with all my might that I have the right answer. Um, but you know, when I check it against the answer key, I can have the wrong answer. And so I think that's a tricky question too, is how do we know that we're wrong? I don't know if we can know that we're wrong without, without, you know, the answer key to stretch my analogy a little bit further. But I do want to say this, maybe we can't know, um, whether or not we are objectively wrong or objectively right about something. But I do, I do believe that we can know 
whether we are honest in our pursuit of the truth. I do believe we can seek and use every means to not deceive ourselves in the search for the truth, to not stay with what is comfortable, to not stay um, and stay locked in propositions uh, that we want to believe is true because we fear that other ones are true, not to convince ourselves otherwise. I think we can be honest. I'm not too sure that we can know uh, within ourselves whether we have the right answer. I, I do think, however, we can know within ourselves whether we are completely honest in our pursuit of the right answer. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that's why um, the question that we are posing for today, which is what does it mean to believe, is almost almost identical to this question or at least in some ways it is because because yeah you can't know for certain but you can believe and so okay so whenever we well, talk so about, let me stop you right there well what do you think it means to believe you you said you can't know the right answer but you can believe what does it mean to believe well that's that what you, we're gonna talk about so what do you what is your definition of belief then? What is my definition of belief? Um, you know, I've thought a lot about this, and well, the main reason why I want to do this like conversation and this podcast is um, so I can figure out what I think the definition of belief is. Um, I have some different fragments, but I haven't put them into a cohesive, you know, form. All right. So where are you at right now intellectually? What is your thought process right now? Well, so what I know is that, or what I think I know, or what I believe I know, whatever, um, is that belief and knowledge are, are very, very similar. Like knowledge is isn't knowledge, it's just extremely held belief. So like if okay. I'm I don't know, boiling some water or something and I, I take it off the stove and there's that hot stove right there, I know that that stove would burn me if I put my hand on there. But it's like what if something just randomly happened and it turns out that that, ho- that stove wasn't actually hot? Okay. Well, I doubt that would ever be the case. I can't know that that wouldn't be the case, but it's a like almost certain belief that I have that that's the case. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Why why can you not know that that's going to be the case? Because it seems like if you touch the stove with your hand and you feel the burn, then you can know, right? Yes, but part of knowing and believing comes with the aspect of without the firsthand experience because when it gets into like you know firsthand experience that's the only way that you can like that's just even more evidence like you know unless you want to get into meta philosophy as to like well how do you know that that like you actually even feel that well it's like well i have the subjective experience but you can't have a subjective experience about everything so you have to eventually translate that into more abstract knowledge you know i know that this is going to burn me because every time 
that I've done that, that's what happened. And from what I know about the way stoves work and the way that that's happened to everyone else, and from the fact that I'm not aware of any time that that hasn't happened, it's like a very strong held belief. But when you do touch the stove, I guess then you could know. I guess knowledge can only be held through subjective experience, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? So it it sounds like you've come to the conclusion that we can only know something that we've experienced. Um, and I, I want to dissect this proposition a little bit because it's really interesting, and I think a lot of people think like this. We only know something because we've experienced this. You know, on some level, you're onto something when you say that. On, on, in some level, I think there's a bit of truth there um, and that I can know something experientially, right? Um, I can know, th know something through experience, but I do think there's other kinds of knowledge as well. And I relate it back to this. Will you weren't alive when, let's say, the Revolutionary War in America was happening. You weren't alive in 1776. Can we say that we know that? I don't know. <laughs> um, that's a whole different question. But let's just assume this definition of knowledge and say that we know that you weren't alive in 1776. But when I say, okay, the Revolutionary War happened in 1776, you're not going to question what I say because we we have documents, we have pictures that people painted at the time that it was going on. We have, you know, we have a bunch of historical evidence that would tell us this actually happened in 1776. We have the Declaration of Independence, but you weren't alive then to experience it. Yeah. And, and you, it you weren't alive to experience it. But here's what I'll say. A firsthand encounter with the American Revolution would give you a different kind of knowledge. So now, not only do you have the historical knowledge because you, you were alive, when the Declaration of Independence was written, maybe you actually went and saw them sign it, if people saw that happen. Um, it, maybe you saw the Battle of Bunker Hill taking place. Maybe you were there when Paul Revere rode through the streets and said, the Redcoats are coming. Um, so you have that historical knowledge, and you also have an experiential knowledge. And I think this gives you a whole new view um, of reality, because... This is now a very present reality to you if you were alive back then, and it was a historical event. Um, and now it has a, a, a different, now you know it differently, I guess I would say. I will agree for the most part, but I will say that. Have you ever heard of Last Thursdayism? Uh, no, actually. I okay, so Last Thursdayism is the belief that the world was created last Thursday and that everything that happened before that that you think was just an implanted memory like and the thing is that is impossible to disprove like why, why is that impossible to disprove how could you disprove that with absolute certainty well it depends on what absolute certainty is right like you can't disprove it with absolute certainty and so when it, whenever but, we're talking about Will, knowledge, it's only like high probability, like what you think is like a super high probability. Okay, let me ask you this. If we were given an absolute 
criteria to be able to disprove absolutely that the world wasn't created last Thursday and we met this criteria, can we say that we know the world wasn't created last Thursday? What do you mean by absolute criteria? Uh, I'm thinking of a checklist, maybe, just to put it simply. I Criteria that say, like, okay, if we meet this criteria, if we can um, produce one video from last Thursday, um, if we can produce one video from the day before last Thursday, uh, and run through a checklist of things um, that are required to prove that the world wasn't created last Thursday, can we say with absolute certainty that if we meet all these uh, criteria that the world wasn't created last Thursday. Can we say that? Well, you can't create a checklist like that because you can say, oh, all those pictures, all those videos are just were created last Thursday along with everything else. So so then, so then, you're questioning the criteria then. Exactly. You're saying this is the wrong criteria. You're making a truth claim about the criteria itself. Exactly. Okay, that's interesting. So, like, what I'm saying is that whenever we talk about knowledge, this is why I think knowledge and belief go hand in hand. Because knowledge is just extremely strong, extremely strong belief. That's my opinion. Okay, and you can take that and you can flip it another way. You could say, okay, belief is a form of knowledge. Interesting. You know? Like, you can use, like, I believe and I know interchangeably, for the most part, like, I know the American Revolutionary War happened. And you can say, I believe the American Revolutionary War happened. Like, those are, like, basically the same thing. Interesting. Do we want to get into kind of what we have prepared in the show notes about what it means to believe? Yeah, yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit. Okay, so the first thing that I have up there is, like, the actual definition of belief and kind of this this kind of goes with what i was saying earlier belief definition is you know to accept something as true feel sure of the truth of so so it's it it when you say feel sure of the truth of something right of a proposition of an idea something along those lines it sounds like the criteria you're using to found and and to lay the groundwork for your definition of belief is an inner an inner feeling it sounds like because if i feel sure of the truth of then then it's my inner feeling that is the criteria and if the truth or if or if an idea or something someone says as a proposition meets the criteria of my inner feeling then i believe it and then i know it is, is my inner feeling then the criteria of truth? Well, I think feeling isn't really the right word because maybe it is. I mean, you say, I feel angry and I am angry. Those are like interchangeable. But it's like, I think it's more than a feeling. It's, you have come to accept it like you have peace with it. That's what I think yeah, it means by that, you know, to feel, to be sure of it, to feel sure of something okay well let me let me take this to to its extreme then okay. so i'll use christianity for an example okay so christians make a very exclusive claim that saying that jesus christ 
is the only way to the Father, right? Mm-hmm. Is the only way uh, to be justified when you stand in front of God. Um, mm-hmm. Because Christians also believe that there will be a day of judgment in which you will stand in front of God and mm-hmm. be accountable for all of your actions within the life you lived. So they make a very exclusive claim about that. And I'm sure if you you know, just interview people walking out of a church one day, a lot of them will say, and maybe honestly too, that they feel sure of the truth of, the, of what they believe. They feel sure of the truth of their doctrines of belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, move over to an Islamic mosque. Interview a, a Muslim watch, walking out of a, mo- a mosque after, um, you know, one of their services and ask them, do you feel sure of the truth of this? And I think a lot of them would say, yes, I do feel sure of the truth of this. I, I, I have this inner feeling that this is, this is true, that, some, that the doctrines we believe are, are true. And, you know, you can dissect my argument here and say, well, maybe they're not being honest because someone is wrong, because both of the religions exclude each other. Christianity That's true. in saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life exclude Muslims who say you can do works yeah. to to be justified. Say that Jesus you, you can do works. And Muslims God. also reject the idea that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. One of them is wrong. One of them has to be wrong because they make mutually exclusive claims. And when things are mutually exclusive, they cannot be held in the same light of reality at the same time. That's a principle um, of logic. It's it's impossible, and it might be the very definition of impossibility that you cannot do it. Yeah. Um, so but, what do you make of that? What do you make well, of two people feeling sure about two very ex- mutually exclusive doctrines? Well, that's where like debate and other evidence comes in because people do debate all sorts of things that they can't prove to a degree that would be published in a scientific paper you know that you can't prove like empirically but you have to bring in other evidence for why you believe what you believe because you have to face those different facts so that you can feel sure of it. If you face all of the facts and you still feel sure of it, then you believe it. Now, just because you believe something doesn't make it true or not. And maybe that's the issue that we're coming to. Interesting. But, so it sounds like you're saying the more facts you know, the more um, research you do, the more different ideas, you know, the more you throw yourself in diverse environments and see if what you believe that fe- that inner feeling holds true. The more you see, the more you will be able to say with certainty, I believe this, this is true. Yeah. And, um, and it, part it sounds of the like reason, that's what you're saying. That is what I'm saying. And part of the reason why I'm saying that is it goes back to the belief and knowledge line. It's like, well, it's more and more certainty because I have, I have explored this idea. I have explored that idea. Weighing the evidence, I come back to my belief, or maybe I've had to change my belief, but I come back to my belief 
and it is confirmed even more, so that's just mounting more and more evidence for it. You know? Okay, but you're never going to be presented with all the facts in the world because a principle of... I think the nature of something being factual is that you don't know what's coming next. Isn't it a function of of time? Um, and that you you will always be able to say, maybe there's something else I don't know that's out there. I don't know why you can always say, maybe there's something else out there, but you just, you never know that you know everything. Yeah, and right? I, yeah, I agree, which I think, well, one of the other issues that I was going to bring up in this question of what does it mean to believe is what's the difference between belief and faith? And, and okay, what do you think it is? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Here's, okay, so I'll say this. I So I listen to a lot of what, uh, what Ravi Zacharias, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, has to say, um, and he likes to say this. God put enough reason in the world to make faith a very reasonable thing, but he left enough out to make it impossible to live on reason alone. I'll say it again. God put enough reason in the world to make faith a very reasonable thing, but he left enough out to make it impossible to live on reason alone. And I think we've kind of touched on this. I think we've hinted in this direction right now, is that it might be impossible to have absolute certainty about something precisely because you'll never know all the facts in the universe. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that our finite minds can comprehend you know, the infinite. I, we will never know all the facts in the universe, and you know, maybe I can't even say that with absolute certainty. But that just proves my point, right? Um, and I think everything we accept as true requires a little bit of trust. I think. Yeah. I think that's a principle for everything. I think. It, comes down to the basic laws of gravity, which most people think, um, or at least in my experience with you know conversing with people, most people think the laws of gravity are the most concrete truth you can have because I've never flown and no one's ever flown outside of a plane, but no one's ever defied these laws of gravity. Can we know that the laws of gravity will absolutely hold for an eternity? I don't know. We don't know everything. I don't know yeah. if you can say with absolute certainty the laws of gravity will always be uh, acting on us. They will always exist. I don't know if you can say that, but I think you can say, I trust that they do. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think you can feel sure of the truth of, of, of the truth of something because you can put your trust in something. And I think every single piece of knowledge requires trust. And I think... You know, going back to your question, what's the difference between belief and faith? I don't know. I think faith faith, faith holds that trust component, and belief might be a function of the facts. I pulled up the definition of faith. Uh, it says complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And I think the word complete is, is very important in this definition. Because that separates it from knowledge and the fact that it says, and the fact that 
Well, you have to have faith in the fact of knowledge. Okay. You have to have trust in the fact of knowledge. I think these are all very, very similar terms that we're just like coming around to. So I think kind of what we believe is that to know something, you have to have a strong belief in it. It requires an element of of trust and of faith for any for any piece of knowledge that you have. Can I, can I interject right here? Yeah, please do. You said faith is complete trust yeah. in something. Do you ever think we can completely trust something? Do, I ever do you think, think we perfect can? faith is possible? Do you think it's possible to have perfect faith in something? Yes, I do. Because going all the way back to the hot water thing, I have complete faith faith that that would burn me if I t- if I held it down it's like I put my well, hand well, on the let, stove. Will. and John John well, this okay is, let, this is kind of what <laughs> this is kind of what I'm about, about to get at is yeah there is the possibility but the fact of the complete trust I the reason I know that I have complete trust in it is for lack of cognitive dissonance for like for the lack of me feeling like any sort of doubt or uncertainty like maybe that's, that's what's required interesting and here let me say that or let me let me say this because i was a you just hit on something that i really wanted to talk about and that's you don't even think about it you don't even question the idea oh will this burn me you don't think about that and then you know conversely when you sit in a chair a chair that's always held you, you don't think when you sit down, this chair uh, might collapse. You just sit it, you sit down without even thinking about it. It doesn't even come to, to the conscious part of your mind. It just, you just sit and you just act. And, and that's that. And that's that. But here's what I struggle with um, as a Christian. This is what I struggle with because I don't, I don't have this not thinking aspect to my faith in Jesus. I don't have this you know, questionless, uh, you know, doesn't even reach the conscious level of my mind, faith in Jesus. No, I question a lot of things, and I, I, I don't feel, you know, all the time like I believe. I, I don't have that, you know, feeling sure of the truth of something all the time. So at times, I feel like something is more true than something else, but, man, it's, it's, it's really tough. And here's what I, here's what I want to say. Paul talks about how Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And and so I think it's okay to not feel completely certain because Jesus is perfecter. And the fact that we need a perfecter of our faith means that, you know, right now, where we are right now, it's not perfect. Um, but when our, when our faith is the means by which we see, which I trust that one day it will be, um, and maybe not in this life, but one day, then I think it is perfect. And and then I don't think we will have to think about it. I think we will just do like sitting in a chair without even having to think about it. And, you know, and I, I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I think he's making a statement about faith itself. Um, and I don't think he's saying ignorance i'm saying i i think he's saying 
perfect faith uh, means that you're going to sit in the chair without even thinking about it. It's not even it's not going to come to your conscious level of your mind. Um, and that's because he has perfected it in that to that point within you. And I love that. And it's something I really, really want to believe. And it's something that I really want to be true. Uh, that that kind of made me think of First Corinthians thirteen. Whenever um, Paul's talking about, like he says, "For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears." When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put my childless ways behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. It, we, are, we, we only see as in a mirror. Like, and in this, like when he's talking about a mirror, it's like, you know, just like some kind of dull, like bronze kind of thing. You know, you can't really see like a perfectly clear reflection. You only see kind of murky. But you see something. And I think that's important. Right. right. Yeah, I... I do think that's important. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe having faith isn't complete. Not even thinking. Maybe it's no. I don't believe it's just not thinking about it and sitting down in the chair. I think what it is is sitting in the chair. You know, because it's because you have more faith that the chair will hold you than you will fall if you sit down. See, I think that's how we come to have faith is, and I think it's one level through experience of, you know, actually acting and seeing how how God responds. Um, and I think that's the way we come to have faith. But I don't, see, I, I disagree in saying that's what faith is. I think, I don't know, I think the, the action is, essential to faith and it's a byproduct of faith but i don't think the action itself is what faith is i mean not always like we don't act just on like you know rational knowledge beliefs you know what we think will happen i mean we also act on emotion like you know that, that can like you can act like if you're really angry, you can like punch a wall, and like if you're thinking about it, you wouldn't have done that. Or you can just do like you know a habit, not not think about it, not feel anything. You just kind of do it. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes, conscious faith produces action. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I, I think I need to think a little bit more about that. Hebrews 11.1, 1, though, I think is, we, we have to talk about. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, I've never understood this. I've never, I've never been able to wrap my mind around what this actually means. Well, okay, well, let's try. If we're going to talk about if we're going to talk about the example of sitting down in a chair, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Let's say you, you hope 
that when you sit down, it, the chair will hold you. And you have a feeling of assurance. You have assurance of that. Now that assurance okay, so, is what the faith is. Okay. Now getting into the second half, the conviction of things not seen. Well, what's not seen in this case? The future's not seen. Okay. I think that's what it is. It's like a it's a real thing. It's the future and you haven't seen it yet. But that conviction that you have that the chair will hold you is what faith is. Okay, that's so what is it. what is what is conviction then? Is it a is it a feeling? Is it is it just a um and I don't mean feeling as an emotion, I guess. I mean a piece, right? Yeah. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. It's just a piece, right? I think so. Because now we, we have the words assurance and conviction to add to the definition of faith. We have so, to figure out what those mean. What do, you, what do you tell a Christian then who doesn't seem to have peace with the the doctrines that the Bible presents, what, or who just hasn't experienced this inner peace within him. What do you say to someone like that? Yeah, I, I've, when I was writing that, that article that I haven't posted because I've still been thinking about it a lot, about what it means to believe, and I give the examples of, kind of two different examples of cognitive dissonance and when to, believe your doubts and when not to, you know. The key thing that I, I say there is you have to articulate. And the articulation of it, the words, the words that we that we use to articulate are prayers for assurance. Because whenever you so have it something... So like, it sounds like words release something from within. Well, words are a handle that we use to shape and mold the chaos of this world into, like, into order. Because when God created the world, what did He use? Where did he used you words? That's that's incredibly interesting. Where where did you get that idea? Where do you think? The Confessions by Augustine. No, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that's why I was telling you to listen to him because, like, it, it really does change your thinking about, well, about speech because, like, that's kind of how I became popular is this whole kind of controversy around free speech. Um, yeah. And so, so words then, words then, it sounds like, are the handles by which we grasp reality. Is that what you said? I said it's the handles by which we grab chaos. And converted into order. Jesus in John 1 is referred to as the Word, and by Jesus and through Jesus, as it says, or like the world was created, and God spoke the world into existence. So there's something about the articulation of words. Now, if I want to get into the psychology of it, the I, the uh, the left hemisphere of your brain contains your speech area. I think it's called like the Wernicke's area, I don't remember. I saw psychology class was a while ago, but it's only in your left side of your brain, and you use that to to speak, to articulate 
words. Now your right hemisphere still has thought processes, but it can't create speech. And so instead, it's, it has a creative expression. It expresses itself in oh. dreams, in art. Interesting. In emotion. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And so yeah. whenever you articulate, whenever you, you're able to, like, it's also very important that um, you look with your eyes at what you see around you. you. You notice yourself. You're very conscious of yourself. You're conscious of your dreams. You're conscious of that so that you can know what your doubts are so that you can then begin to articulate it in the form of prayer. Interesting. That's really interesting. And I wonder if that's why um, so many people use writing as such a such a release and, and journaling and you know keeping a diary is such a a release yeah. is like I, I like words. Yeah, like like literally yesterday for me I was I really needed some kind of like relief of all of my like thoughts and anxieties that I, I couldn't articulate and you start writing and and thoughts come into your head and emotions and you try to express those and eventually you just kind of work out what you're getting at. And like words, like the reason I'm currently writing an article about why words are so powerful and part of it is that through this conversation, you know, whenever we, we think, we, we start clarifying what we believe. To to speak is to think. Well, <laughs> at least for a lot of people. At least, like, not for yeah. some people, you know? They just kind of speak without thinking. But true speech, right. truth required is, is a form of thought. Um, yeah. Now, like, Jordan Peterson, as I've talked about, he, he likes to bring up this this myth from the from uh, Mesopotamia about um, like there's this ultimate chaos like uh, this big monster Tiamat and all like you know the Mesopotamian gods go out and they try to they try to you know defeat it but they can't and they get whooped and so there's this one god Marduk who says, okay, I'll go out and I'll fight Tiamat, but you have to make me, you know, like head god and stuff. Um, so he goes out and he fights Tiamat, and he has some special powers. Two very, very important things is he has eyes all the way around his head, and he speaks magic words. Okay. Now, he goes out and he slices up Tiamat, you know, ultimate chaos, like, you know, some kind of sea monster. And from those pieces, that's what the world is created out of. And I mean, this is just a myth. This is just like a legend, like, you know, right. that, that didn't happen. But it's, it is deeply rooted in kind of human experience, I guess you could say. Okay. With, yeah. With the two important things is one, the eyes all the way around the head. You have to be on the lookout for what the world is saying. Not not the world saying, but what your surroundings are saying to you, what God is saying to you, what your subconscious is saying to you, what your heart's telling you. And then you have to be able to speak, to think, to pray that that God will perfect your faith. 
Right. I like that. Um. So I do want to end. I want. I want to close pretty soon. Um, but I want to end at least what I'm saying by introducing this quote that uh, I saw today when I was walking around the halls at my school, the Air Force Academy. And if you don't know much about the Air Force Academy, um, well, I guess you would really only know this if you're a student. But inside the inside the dorms, and specifically inside the dorm where I am living, people paint quotes next to their uh, dorm rooms. Out, out in the hallways, people paint quotes. And we come across all these inspiring quotes as we're walking to class, and I think it sometimes helps get our minds off the grueling reality that we sometimes experience here. But as I was walking um, to run an errand today, I was walking through one of the hallways in, in my dorm facility, and I came across this quote uh, written outside someone's door, and it says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. I'll say it again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. And I think this maybe brings what we were talking about full circle and um, that I mentioned at the very beginning of the show. Um, maybe we can't know something objectively, but we can at least be honest in our pursuit of truth. We can at least be honest in our pursuit of knowledge. We can at least seek to not deceive ourselves when we're seeking for the correct answer. Um, and a lot of times we want to hold on to unrealities that, that we see, that we for some reason would like to believe. We want to hold on to things that are not real because they make us feel a lot more comfortable. But I want to say this. I think we're fools if we think we can actually keep these thoughts, keep these uh, beliefs and hold on to them in order to protect ourselves. I think we're fools um, if we believe we can hold on to them forever if they're false. Because I believe that in the end, truth prevails. I, I think that's always the case, is that truth prevails. And I, I want to reiterate the quote, we're not fools if we admit that we're scared to give up beliefs that provide us otherwise with comfort um, in order to seek the truth. I think that's precisely what it means to have courage, is to take heart and to face reality. And I, I really like this quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if you have any I, clo closing thoughts. I agree. Paul. Well, I just want to say that going to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, this is the Great Commission, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus isn't telling us to hold on to, to what, like, you know, to just stand around and feel comfortable. This pursuit is is an active thing. 
I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I keep thinking back of whenever God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God and man and prevails. God rewards, blesses those who struggle with him and prevail. He gives them faith. So I don't know what everyone listening to this is going through, what thoughts that they may have, but just know that the struggle, the struggle is what true faith emerges from because God gives you that faith. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a good stopping point. Um, Thanks for listening. Um, This is a podcast that's kind of an extension of hiddenphilosophy.com where we kind of post articles about, well, about whatever, but mostly about philosophy. Um, If you're interested for writing for hiddenphilosophy.com, you can visit the website and there's a little section on that that'll give you instructions. Um, As far as that, John, I'll see you. All right. See you later, Will. Bye. Bye.